This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to top people and ideas. Powered by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. BFM 89.9, this is The Breakfast Grill. I'm Keith Kam. The year 2023 commemorates 150 years since a San Francisco company was granted a patent on the process of riveting pants, which would eventually become the iconic 501 jeans that we know today. Throughout this time, Levi Strauss and Co. is still known for its brand of denim jeans worldwide, much more than any item of clothing it has ever come up with. Levi's is today a publicly traded company listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Its name is well known throughout the world with over 500 stores in over a hundred countries. What's the secret behind this company's staying power? We'll find out this morning when we talk to Imran Butt, Levi Strauss, country manager for Malaysia and Singapore. Good morning, Imran. Hey, good morning, Keith. And thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about Levi's today. Imran, in a blink of an eye, the iconic 501s are already a century and a half years old. What does that say about its staying power? Well, see, the thing is, the biggest thing is that we, uh, the connect with the consumer is one of the biggest things for us. And uh, we have actually done that in the past too. I think the brands which you see in the market today and who have been there for the last 170 years One of the biggest thing for them has been that they've been on top of the trends. Mm -hmm. They have been on top of the cultures. They have been in connect with their consumers. So that is one thing which has actually kept us alive for the last 170 years. So I would say it's, it's our connection with our consumers. In terms of design, though, what would you say is Levi's secret to... I kind of feel you are only depending on this one particular design over all this time. I mean, I have to admit that 501s are the only ones I wear, personally. Well, not exactly. If you look at it, 501, it's a brand in itself, if you look at it, right? So 501 is the most popular brand within a brand, I would say. Mm -hmm. But we have a number of other products and fits. I mean, if you look at it commercially, I think 511 is one of our biggest selling fit right now which is a straight fit. And in a market like Malaysia, we have a 505, which is a relaxed fit as well, which is very popular. So we have evolved these fits and this product over the period of time. You see, there are certain trends which come into the market and those trends are based on the consumers. And there are certain trends which we start ourselves. We believe in the fact that we are the trendsetters when it comes to denim. So yes and no. I think 501 continues to be one of the most popular brand within a brand and product for us. But there are a number of other products which are now commercially much more popular. I mean, some of these products are even more uh, resonate very well with the weather conditions across the country. I mean, we have a Coolmax product, which is so suitable for the South Asian, Southeast Asia and these parts of the world. It has the wicking quality and it keeps you cool in the summer season as well. So, so yeah. I, I have to say as well, your jeans in general are very, very long-lasting, which means customers aren't likely to replace them compared to pants made from other materials. I mean, the only time you need to replace them is when you either lose or gain weight, right? I mean, how do you resolve that? Um, let me put it this way, Keith. Yeah. Throughout our 170-year-old history, Levi's & Co. has stood for iconic products, products which only increase in value over time. And that's what they're made for. And that's what we're supposed to do. They're built to last, I'd say, handed down and worn by generations of consumers, which is which is actually very, very powerful. 
I mean, we see a number of brands these days where you see the assortments changing, trends changing, and we have assortments coming every 15 days, coming every three months, six months, and all of that. That does not play out very well with the overall climate change situation because when you buy more, when you sell more, you people buy more. When you buy more, you're accumulating a number of things. And then so much of that goes into the landfill. I don't think that's responsible. I don't think that's sustainable. It's not Levi's, right? So we create those trends for ourselves. Yeah. And we we make sure that we do it the right way. Like we, we had a campaign which says, buy better, wear longer. And we actually mean it. There's this beautiful quote from our head of product design, Paul Delanger. He says, we design product for future vintage. Yeah. That's so powerful right now. If you go a little bit deeper on that and what is this statement actually saying that we design for future vintage? I mean, the designer who is making that product at this point in time is thinking about the trend which is there today. Yeah, He's also thinking about the trend which is going to be there in the next five years, 10 years or 15 years. What would compel the consumer to come back again? And and purchase it again. I mean, this can this guy can be going to a jean swap meet, or this guy can be going into a secondhand store in the next 10, 15 years and buy that product. I, so it's not it's yeah, not I, just designed for today. I it's get designed. what you I get what you're talking about in terms of sustainability. I mean, you guys are in the FMCG, the fast moving consumer goods space. We are seeing companies today like H and M, Polo, Ralph Lauren, as well as yourselves, turning to technologies to help gather data on their supply chains and track materials. Tell me about your journey in doing something like that. You know, using traceability platforms, blockchain, whatever, to verify the use of sustainable fibers in garments. This is even before they end up in the landfill. Oh, this is so interesting, actually. Actually, you know, you were talking about the 501, right? Yeah. I'll give you one small example. I mean, since the birth of 501, we've brought different takes on this classic genes to make this more interesting for the consumer and and fulfilling the consumer desire for sustainability. So there is a plant-based 501, which has 90% ingredients which are Mm plant-based, and uh, it does address all of these environmental issues. This is just one example which is related to product Keith, and you talked about sustainability and traceability. Yeah. Now, that's a very good question, actually. Traceability means that you go back and trace back where this cotton was grown from as well. I mean, that's how we look at it, at least. It's called the Better Cotton Initiative, yeah. right? I've been with Levi's for a very, very long time. I mean, I, when I say very long time, it's very, very long time. So when I joined Levi, and we've been working on this sustainability far before anybody even thought about it. This was like 15 years back, right? So people were thinking, but they were not really, uh, everybody wanted to talk about sustainability and, and, and green culture and everything else. But even back then when I joined, we were producing in certain countries, countries like Bangladesh, countries like Pakistan, and some of the places in Cambodia as well. And we had, and we still have, a TOE agreement, Terms of Engagement, right? In that Terms of Engagement, we have a thick manual in which there are certain do's and don'ts and there are certain zero tolerance issues over there as well, which means that we will not work with you if you do this. And environmental issues like affluent water plant and uh, filtration plant and um, dyes and inks 
And even uh, issues like child labor, which is not an environmental issue, but it's a it's a clear and present issue, and yeah. women's rights and salaries. It's so we have been working on this for such a long time, and we started this Better Cotton Initiative. I um, I'm I'm not going to throw a number over here because I'm not 100% sure, but it was there at least 10 years back. I can tell you. So quite a few of our product can actually be traced back. So we went back in certain parts of Pakistan where we were producing this product. We worked with the farmers and their lands where cotton was being grown. And we we did all of those things to make sure that we we're doing the right thing Mm -hmm. and we can track back our product all the way to its origin where it was grown. I mean, the UN also has put out a figure saying that as much as 10% of greenhouse gas emissions are due to what the fashion industry has been contributing to landfills across the planet. Talk to me about your efforts to address this as a main player in the FMCG fashion space. I mean, I do see H&M and companies like these encouraging recycling of their garments. See, we've been doing that in the past. I think recycling is just a very basic surface level kind of thing. It actually starts from how you're producing your product. Okay. I mean, I remember I mean, uh, a few years until a few years back, by 2021, our objective was that 70% of our product would be waterless. I can tell you a huge and significant amount of product which you produce today is waterless. Mm -hmm. So that is one thing. The other thing is we launched a a campaign, Buy Better, Wear Longer, right? Now, it's not very easy to say that. I mean, it's easy to say that, actually. But do something about it is not easy. I mean, when you say, when you're asking your consumer, hey, guys, you know what? You don't necessarily have to buy a lot. So what happens, but buy better quality stuff and wear it for a longer period of time, right? Which means that the number of units that you produce are lesser. You're saying that we will produce for you as much as you need and as much as we think is right from an environmental standpoint. Don't buy too much. So what happens is when you have product coming every 15 days, every 30 days, every 25 days, It pushes the consumer to buy more. And there was a study which says that if you open up a typical consumer's wardrobe, you will see that there's so many of those clothes which they have not even worn. For sure. How does does Levi's keep track of all this? And do you make it a habit to publish these figures regularly? Um, I don't think we publish it regularly. Um, But it would be great for a big company like Levi's with iconic brands to say, hey, you know, this is what we are doing to ensure there's some sustainability in our space. Perhaps, you know, other fashion companies might follow your example. Well, separately, Keith, I'm not sure if we're, I'm not sure we might be, but when we're reporting out our quarterly results, we do talk about the efforts which we have made in sustainability and uh, how we're taking that forward. So there is, I guess, the more we talk about it, the better it is. But yeah, I, I think we do report out some of it, but there is, I don't think there's a separate report which goes out. But we work very closely with all of these you know, companies and, and uh, NGOs which work for green work. On the Breakfast Grill this morning is Imran Bhatt, Levi Strauss and co-country manager for Malaysia and Singapore. On the other side of the break, we talk about Levi's plans in this region, BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill. Brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network.
BFM 89.9. Welcome back to The Breakfast Grill. We are in the middle of a conversation with Imran Bud, Levi Strauss and co-country manager for Malaysia and Singapore. Just before the break, Imran, we were talking about some social issues and I want to point out that Levi's is famous for its stand on social issues, equity and non-discrimination. These are your DNA. You are well known for promoting progressive causes. Most notably, I have to add and stress that this is in the US. Levi's was one of the earliest private sector institutions to support LGBTQ causes. And uh, even during the 2016 presidential campaign, you guys donated a million dollars to support these rights. How does that translate geographically, especially in a country like Malaysia, which is, you know, hostile against these so-called Western ideals? How do you navigate this? Well, look, it differs from market to market, and we have to be sensitive to, to consumers' feelings as well. So wherever it is presentable, wherever it is acceptable, I think we should do it mm-hmm. and we, we can. But we, we just have to be sensitive to the consumer sentiments because end of the day, it's the consumer you're doing everything for, right? I mean, it's different strokes for different folks. We were also talking about some of the places where Levi's garments are manufactured. Other products that come under your brand is the Dockers line. I think you manufacture in Vietnam, Cambodia, India, China, Thailand, and you also mentioned Bangladesh. Perhaps you could share with us what the experience was like during the pandemic, the issues relating to supply chain disruptions, the disruptions in demand because of, of lockdowns. Well, it was it was the same as anyone else. I mean, we were facing those issues. In fact, sometimes it's not just what you're not getting. Sometimes it's also about what you're getting too quickly, right? So during the pandemic, we were struggling with some of our supplies and everything. But that point, market was closed anyhow, right? What happened later when the market started opening up? And there was a there's a big blockage in the supply chain, not just for the product. It, it was also for the raw materials. So shortage of raw materials kind of jacked up the cost for every brand, not just for us. Mm-hmm. So we did face time issues and we did face cost issues and product availability issues. And then the other thing, interestingly enough, Keith, was the fact that the consumer behaviors changed. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can tell you about Dockers. When work from home started yeah. in Malaysia and other parts of the world, especially Malaysia, let's talk about Malaysia, the product is more associated with casual workwear, yeah. right? People were not going to the office. They were staying home and working. Yeah. So the demand for certain products changed. I mean, for Dockers and for Levi's, both people started looking at the leisure kind of product where comfort became more important, right? Mm-hmm. Now, we had those products in our line, but not as much as we thought that we would need. And we kind of did not predict the consumer trend as much as we should have. We have not, we had not seen these kind of pandemics and work from home environments and complete shutdowns, right? But the good thing is that it helped us and it gave us a different side of the consumer. They were looking for more comfortable products, something that you can wear home mm-hmm. at home and, um, and feel more comfortable. So it was a different spectrum of things, if you look at it, which, which COVID opened up for us. I mean, it gave a steroid shot to e-com business, if you may, right? All of those brands which were starting their journey on e-com and they were, everyone was talking about Omni and all yeah. of that. And everyone had a different definition of Omni. 
all of a sudden there was a catapult effect which threw us into a different stratosphere. And, have, um, have things returned to normal since then? I mean, I've read anecdotes where people right after the lockdowns went out on a buying spree because they couldn't fit into their pants before the pandemic. Did you see something like that? It's a very interesting question. It's very interesting. I'll tell you something very interesting. So what happened post-COVID Right. So businesses have come back to a pre-COVID level. Some of them have exceeded as well. We, we, uh, most of our stores and businesses have uh, exceeded pre-pandemic levels. But something very interesting happened over here. Yeah. During the pandemic, we were working from home. People were staying home. The only channel which was operational was e-com from a channel which was an afterthought for some people. It was, became it an af- was it an afterthought for Levi's, the omni-channel approach? Not exactly. I mean, for some brands, they were just starting off, right? Yeah. But we had already started our journey. Mm. So we were working on it and we had already accelerated. So we were in the right place at the right time in so many ways. But I know brands, some of the local brands and some of the brands, these groceries and all of these, I think they kind of accelerated their efforts in the pandemic period. So what I was saying was during the pandemic, we were staying back home, right? And things were slow, but people were still buying. Everything was happening online and things were picking up. Ecom was on the upward trend. And then in 2022, markets started to open up. And you have to keep in mind the fact that fashion apparel in so many ways is an occasion-based business. Purchase, yeah. You're going out on a date, you're going out on a wedding, Hari Raya, Chinese New Year, meeting friends, going out for drinks, so on and so forth. So it's a very occasion-based thing. Ecom was going up during pandemic when, when we opened up in 2022 slightly, it went further up, right? And just went into a different uh, level. So everyone started investing in e-com, hiring more people, uh, putting so much effort behind, and then creating high expectations for e-com and for everything else as well. Yeah. So when we reached 2022 second half, yeah. the markets opened up and the bricks and mortar stores started opening up. Even Hari Raya, after, after Hari Raya, Hari Raya was strong for us too. Ecom started coming down, right? But we did not really acknowledge it that much. When we reached 2022, and not just us, I think everyone, I was talking to some uh, some folks in MRA too. They were telling me that the companies, when they reached the end of 22, we ended 22 on a super high. I did see, yeah, it's 60% way more than in 2021. That, that was your that was your number. Was it really That's just a right. function of the pandemic? It, I mean, it was, be- it was because of that revenge shopping and the fact that the consumer has just come out of the pandemic and they were so happy, they were traveling and they were spending, so there was a high. Uh, are things and, back to normal now? Are, are we just looking at, you know, you just trying to capture back market share? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll come to that just in a minute. So everyone over-indexed 2023. Yeah. So, I mean, because you were talking about the, the COVID and, and the supply chain issues and everything that jacked up the costs and everything, and anticipation of an increase in cost, the prices were raised by different brands. Yeah. And then the foot traffic, which was expectation of the foot traffic was jacked up for 2023 as well. And all of that. So 2023 was over-indexed, right? Mm. And and if you remember, in 2022, we also had an EPF thing, which happened during Hari Raya, where the government gave... Yeah, the they, they weren't supposed to take money out to buy jeans, that's for sure. <laughs> but they did. 
keep they did. did and they? some of the consumers, when we saw this trend in 2022, I I couldn't understand because even after Hari Raya, people were buying. So I, tell, I asked the store staff, I said, why mm. don't you ask the consumer what's going on? And some of them told us that it's the money which we have taken out from EPF and we're spending it. Oh, dear. Right? Yes. So in 2023, we had over-indexed, everyone had over-indexed the businesses and we, we kind of amplified it. When 2023 came, Q1 was okay. Q2, we entered Q2, we went into Hariraya, it started tipping downwards. Okay. I see that happening. Somehow or the other, I had this idea, so I, I could see that, and I had put some contingencies in there. So it started tipping. Hariraya was okay. It was not as strong as, as last year. Yeah. In the third week, where the EPF was given, the businesses across Malaysia dropped like anything. Right. Because people, when they came to Hari Rai, they realized they had finished up their savings and they automatically went into a saving mode. That, that should be a lesson learned there. But, but that, is, <laughs> that, is, that is true. But, but Imran, given all the figures that you have seen right now, you did say in, in an interview once you wanted to double down on efforts to expand Levi's business in Malaysia. What does that mean? I mean, this was when I came in 2016, 17. And we did that. And going forward, is that something that's going to be ongoing? I think we will have to tread the waters very, very carefully. We have a very different reality out there, mm. which we need to manage. So, so yeah, I think the, the situation has changed due to a number of things, right? In the last uh, few months, a year and a half, things have changed in a different direction where we have seen uh, issues in the overall political and uh, economic scenarios across the board in different countries. Inflations are high. Consumer spending power is going down. Yeah. Uh, so all of those things are happening. Yeah. Um, but pre-pandemic level was very different. Even I can tell you, Bank Nigara Malaysia, they said that 2022 was one of the highest years in terms of GDP growth. I think it was 8.7 or something. It they was, said it's never, it was it's never quite high. Yeah. It, yeah. It's going to be challenging to, to reach that, that those levels again. It, it's never going to happen because unless we have a prolonged closure again, it won't happen. So I think... We future, we have to be careful. Imran, I was made to understand by, I actually learned from a colleague who used to work at Levi's Malaysia with you, in fact, some 10 years ago, that you guys oh, yeah. used to have a, a production plant in Ipoh, if I'm not mistaken. Are there plans to, to do something like that again in the future? Or is that not even on the horizon anymore? Um, no, I don't think so. Uh, production has become very, very complex. You have to make sure we, we we were trying to reduce our production bases and make them more and more meaningful strategically, the locations and all of that, uh, costs, locations and all of that. I, I don't see anything like this on the horizon. And um, it's a different function, Keith. I mean, sourcing and production is a different function. They, they have more depth into it, but I don't see anything like this happening. We used to have a washing plant in Malaysia as well. We used to wash 501s over here some years back. Mm -hmm. uh, not anymore. So basically, uh, what Levi's, Strauss and Co., your presence in Malaysia and Singapore will be purely on the retail distribution side? Yes, commercial side, which is, uh, which is selling, marketing, product and merchandising and all of that. Commercial. Imran, thank you very much for sharing your insights with us and all the all the best in whatever you do.
Thank you so much, Keith. Thank you for giving me this uh, this opportunity. On the breakfast grill this morning was Imran Bud, Levi Strauss and co-country manager for Malaysia and Singapore. I'm Keith Kam for BFM 89.9, The Business Station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile, Malaysia's number one 5G network. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.